This is a Mortarbox Media Podcast. For more podcasts and to learn how we can help you create your own, visit mortarboxmedia.com. Welcome once again to Chill Filtered, the podcast where we drink whiskey so you don't have to, but you probably should. On today's episode, we are drinking, uh, well, we're drinking a whiskey we've had before and Cole's not here. It's just me, Adam, and a friend of mine, but we'll hear from that, from that, from him in a little bit. But before we get to that, let's get down to just a little bit of business. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Please hit the subscribe button. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts app. Ratings help people find the show. Reviews help us know what you like, maybe what you'd like to see different. If you want to support us in a bigger way, you can go to patreon.com slash chillfiltered. That's the business. Here's the podcast. All right. Well, normally, guys, you hear me say, Cole, how the hell are you? But today, you're going to hear me say... Michael, how the hell are you? I'm doing well, man. That's a that's a nice intro you got there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, on, on our podcast, I'm very very informal compared to that. That was solid. That oh. was really really good. Thank I you. I that. appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, so I, I'll introduce you. I'm sorry. I should have made sure I knew your last Nielsen. Nielsen. That is perfect. Right. So you got it. We've got Michael Nielsen. You see with how us close we are now. <laughs> I know, that's, that's right. Um, Michael is a local filmmaker here in Madison, um, and and. I, well, I'm a movie star now, guys, That's uh, right. as we've talked about on the podcast before. Uh, I was uh, not, I guess, booked or whatever, whatever you want to call it. I appeared in a recreation for a documentary that you were shooting. I was in some recreation scenes. Um, and then the reason that you're over here today is I was doing voiceover for you for the same film. By the way, I know I, I told you this through email. You have fulfilled a lifelong dream for me. <laughs> I remember being five years old at my, I mean, I remember the day I'm at my grandparents' house in their, not living room, but like the TV room, sitting in front of the TV and realizing somebody's being paid to make those voices on the cartoons. And I was like, I want to do that. And I have always wanted to do that. So I, I have I have been paid to do voiceover. <laughs> As of five minutes ago, you can <laughs> die, right? right? Yeah, that's, that's right. it. Yeah. Life complete. So. Uh, Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you, you mentioned you've got a, po- a podcast. I think it's about film, but like, tell, yeah. us, tell us everything that you can tell us. Oh my God, everything. Well, uh, yeah, so podcast related, I've got two podcasts. One that's a weekly film review podcast, which is me and two other film uh, producer friends of mine. Um, uh, it's called Real Fanatics, R-E-E-L, and we had competition for a while with a fishing group, actually, uh, over that name, believe it or oh, not. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Very funny. Uh, but Real Fanatics is the name of that podcast, and that's just literally us bullshitting about film and, and whatever movies we've seen recently because of the fact that we're we're three film guys, and, and we've been making movies together. All of us are involved in this this current project that you're referring to. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, that, that largely came out of a result of us just we were already bullshitting in the same way I'm sure you guys are with whiskey, whatever. It's like, why not produce something out of it right. sort of deal? Um, the other one is called The Nature of Story, which is actually a series of interviews with about storytelling in society where I've, I've oh, tried to... storytelling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something you might know something about. But it's um, I try to get, you know, hour-ish long interviews with, with neuroscientists, storytellers, uh, uh, writers, anybody who can who can talk at length in some sense about stories' effect on society on people on our brains um so i've talked with everybody from annette simmons uh, who you may know of is a, a, a like a, a story branding uh type uh, right. individual for business to kendall haven who uh used made, made a whole bunch of he wrote two books called story proof and story um uh oh god what's the other one story proof and i forget what the second <laughs> one's called but they're both amazing story proof though it was written uh, to present this, the neuroscience to convince NASA to incorporate storytelling into their like communications. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because he just he that he's a science guy, and so he wanted to bring that. But then I also talked to like you know, the uh, 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 you know, oral storytellers in Toronto and uh, a neuroscientist studying the effects of external stimuli on the brain in in New York and. All that stuff and in between. So, um, yeah. story is kind of my jam in the same way it sounds like it is yours. Well, so. and and I mean, you've got—I uh, don't remember if you mentioned this and all that. You've got story first media. Mm-hmm. That that's right, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so that's I, my my day to day. Your holy shit production. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry, just oh, took a sip of that scotch. That's right. good. So before we get it too far into it, so today, <clears throat> uh, listeners, it's going to be a different kind of episode. We're not reviewing a new whiskey. We're not uh, we're not doing anything, but we are drinking. Uh, in fact, while we were recording the voiceover work, we had the Four Roses single barrel barrel strength bourbon, the OESQ uh, one, and now we are drinking uh, Abuna. The, the scotch. And if you want to hear the review on either of those whiskeys, you can go back in time on our episodes and find those reviews. But uh, yeah, that's what we're, we're drinking. But uh, so not much whiskey on the show, probably. We're just going to kind of do an interview. And, it's and very tasty, though, I got to say. Yeah, it's, that's it's, nice. it's about the only scotch that, that I'm into right now. I did just get this uh, Heartwood scotch from a, a good friend of the, of the show. Uh, he brought it back from Europe. It's only available in Europe. And that's cool. uh, I haven't had it yet. Uh, but I'm hopeful. Yeah, right. Yeah, maybe you'll get two. Exactly. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Mainly, like I don't want to disappoint him that like, right. he he got that for me. But um, exactly. So story first media that that's like film production and everything. But then you also do like uh like I know you did like branding videos for Ale Asylum, and I'm sure yes. you've done several of those. Yes. So that that's more so day to day what Story First is doing. Oh, okay. Story First uh, uh, is a company founded by me and my father back in 2009. So we're just coming out of our 10 year anniversary now. Um, and it's uh, story-based marketing, branding through video. I mean, you know, the, basically in 2009, it was right at when everyone was just kind of getting their grips around YouTube and, and, and every company wanted video to some extent or another. Right. Prior to this age now where agencies and video production houses and filmmakers all kind of started blending and stepping on each other's toes and all that stuff. Um, but, but so now, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we think of ourselves largely as a storytelling firm, um, that happens to specialize in video production, you know, so we're known most for video production. We've done video production, as you say, for Ale Asylum, we've done, you know, and, and did a whole bunch of series on, on their beers and how they were developed. Um, but then we've done it for a bunch of construction companies. We've done it for, uh, Death Store Spirits. We've done it for, you know, a, a number of different places in town, uh, and outside of Madison as well. Um, but yeah, it's mainly it's it, our differentiation is that we are story focused, story like in a, in, a, in a way that's genuinely based on again the neuroscience and 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 what a story actually is. It's not just as you know, it's not just framing something in a more fun way. It's it's right. It, there's actually a logic and a structure to it. I am I am curious. We're sitting here. It's a whiskey podcast. We've we've talked about. You're not like a huge whiskey aficionado, is what you said. Uh, you you are into wine, and I and I'm interested in um, the relationship of between story and alcohol. Oh yeah, and I, I, for me especially whiskey that like because whiskey has a story itself. Um, the the you know the distillation of it and wine the same way yes um, you know the aging there's this whole process and that whole process is this big long story and for a lot of distilleries and wineries they've been around forever so they yeah. have this huge story um, but then once you get that story in your glass you're sitting around talking with people right sharing stories I mean it it just comes back over and over again to storytelling and and sharing your story and I do think it's really interesting. How uh, interesting and also kind of like uh, manipulative that companies have have realized this. Oh, I understand. <laughs> I know exactly where you're coming from on that. Um, it's 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 not a, it's not unlike your frustration you're giving there is not unlike my frustration I have when I hear a whole bunch of uh, companies just all of a sudden talking about their why everywhere. Like it's just like I understand. <laughs> What's your why? Yeah, I get it that Simon Sinek or whoever said you know coined this idea of the why, but like it's not new information. You're just all saying it now because mm-hmm. it's something people say. Storytelling is not too dissimilar to that. It's it's the buzzword right now to such an extent that me as a story guy, I don't like using the word because I feel right. like I don't know what I'm necessarily saying or communicating when I say it. I know what I'm thinking. I don't know what you're hearing. Um, and so the you know I love the connection you're saying with story and alcohol. My you know. One of the things that we talk about all the time with storytelling is that nothing moves but through conflict or through mm. difficulty. And and that's one cool thing that I think alcohol brands have figured out and they should leverage till the cows come home is the difficulty it takes to get that in your glass. You know, it's so cool when you can tell a story about well, just take wine for example. So you get you get the, you know, there's a theory in wine that if you created the perfect circumstances for a particular varietal's vines that it actually would yield lesser wine than vines that had to struggle. Hmm. And like, you know, that didn't have the perfect, 
you know, soil composition and right. the perfect sunlight. You know, if they had to struggle over 109 years, you might get better wine out of that because it had to do something. It, it, it's a theory. It's like, you know, how do you test this stuff? But there's a lot of you drink stuff like it. That. That's exactly. Hot. You drink it. Right. <laughs> Using Ale Asylum as another example. You know, uh, 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 they talk about how with Hopalicious, you know, they had to make like, I think it was like 60 batches over three years or something like right. that in order to get it the way that they liked it. Like that's that's a story about difficulty and about not not you know you he was they were after something and it wasn't easy to attain and if something's easy to attain or if there's easily achieved perfection it doesn't have any value and right. so to create value talk about how hard it was leverage those obstacles and those difficulties so I I love I love that's one thing that I do like you see people now kind of leaning into it a bit yeah where it's like you know maybe it wasn't so difficult but we're gonna make it sound like it was really hard you know <laughs> jack that price up but. Well, what do you think? I am always curious about this because you know I do host this thing called Madison Story Slam and have have been doing that for November will be five years that that we've had the podcast. I've been doing it for six years. That's awesome. Yeah, um, but I'm always so curious, and I have my own theories. But why we resonate so much with stories from others? I I get why I why my stories are important to me. Sure. But to hear somebody else get up and share passionately about an experience, you know, and their story, I'm not quite sure that I'm positive why that actually resonates with people. I mean, I can give you my two cents. It's yeah. corny, and I think it's it's a cliche, but it's it's true. I think is that it it makes us feel less alone in some sense. Boom. Yeah. I so um, I always say at Story Slam, the live events, the uh, the magic of what happens. What we re- so we say we build community through storytelling. Mm-hmm. That's our tag. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say the the meat of what we actually do happens during our breaks. We we do three stories and then we take a break. Three stories, take a break. And it's during those breaks that somebody can go up to that person who just told a story, whether it be funny, serious, sad, whatever, and say, "I'm so glad you shared that because I'm not. It told me I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I, I've said this verbatim several times. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not the only one who right. has dot 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 dot. Yeah. And and it and it instantly builds a line of connection and community between those two people. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what it is. It, it, you're not alone. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. Oh, completely. That's like confirmation, right? Yeah. There. Well, I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't know what else, what other answer there could be. I mean, why else do we go to the movies? Why else do we listen to, to storytelling podcasts? Why else do we read novels that take us somewhere else? Like, it's not just for thrill. Like, we're getting something deeper out of it. And I, I just think it's confirmation that, oh, yeah, that, you know, you articulated something, uh, you know, it's like John Stewart described satire at one point in a way that resonated with me where he was saying about the idea that it's it's articulating an intangible feeling that, you know, uh, can't be articulated another way, but it's showing you that it's, it's an okay feeling that, you know, someone else feels it, you, you know, you're not alone, right. ultimately, yeah. is, is what this all is. And so, you know, if you think of storytelling like I do, which is you know it's 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 a projection of just how our brains perceive the world around us we are pretty much entirely alone inside our own skulls then in in a pretty fundamental way so hearing a message thrown back at us that mirrors what's going on in our own head it's like that's that's the gift right for sure yeah. for sure before you drink that yes so this is a whiskey podcast we got to talk a little bit about it oh, yeah, yeah. What, what what kind of notes are you getting on the notes <laughs> I think, well, see, yeah, I think very obviously you get that sherry. Yes, nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, with my 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 senses are not attuned well enough for whiskey to probably give too many uh, you know, things to differentiate be, from be, whiskeys. But you'd be surprised, yeah, because like I, when I first got into this, I was not at all attuned to it. Yeah, but I, I would give notes, and my co-host Cole would always be like. How are you picking that out? Like now that you say it, I smell it. I mean, I get the obvious things of the the you know the oakiness, and right. I get and I get the the caramel. Huh. Not no peat in this. No. So I don't know if you're a wine drinker. Yeah. I don't know if they it, novice in that too, but <clears throat> okay, I know enough. So <laughs> one of the most interesting things for me with whiskey yeah. is if you bury your nose in that yes. and then open your mouth and breathe through your mouth. Yeah. Okay. You'll taste it. Sure. Okay. You didn't do it just now. You just breathe through your nose. What did I do? So put, wait, you're put your you nose into it and then breathe through your mouth. You get the taste of the whiskey. Oh, okay. I see a little. It's bit what you're very about. weird. That is weird. 
Oh, that is really weird. Okay, I just did it right that time. Right. You take a deep, long breath, and, and it just it, your tongue is suddenly like, oh. oh that's real weird, yeah. Right? That's kind of crazy. Yeah. But I think you're right with this one. It's mostly just that sweet sherry and then yeah. the oakiness. There's a little bit of caramel, not much for me. Yeah. I think I just get caramel only because because all whiskey smells like caramel to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even though this is a cast strength, yeah, it's not it's not a huge bite. Mm-mm. On first taste, there's a sudden fruitiness that it's just like whoa. Yeah. Um, and then the finish for me, it kind of has that. Um, and oftentimes we call this a bad note, but this one's not for me this time. Uh, it's kind of like taking a nine volt battery and sticking oh, it on your tongue. Sure. That's kind of the the metallic-y, electric-y taste that yeah. I'm getting. No, I get that. So. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the the, the bite. There was more, much more bite for me on the four roses that we had before this. Right. That was. Yeah. Right. I don't know what the I don't know what the proof on this is. I should, mm-hmm. but I, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, this is very tasty though. I like this a lot. And I love the color of it too. I, I that was oh, the yeah. first thing I, I mean, ever marked on. It almost looks like um like a scotch ale. Yeah. Yeah. It is so brown. Or a really aged wine. Like I mean like a right. like a World War One right. <laughs> wine. Well, now that we've talked whiskey sufficiently, mm. I want to talk... Have you satisfied them? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, no, I'm sure, actually, we're going to get comments <laughs> being sure. like, more whiskey, please, right. on the next episode. <laughs> um, but here's the thing, listeners. Cole is in Europe, and I told him, oh, no problem. Uh, the owner of the distillery that I'm friends with will for sure come on the podcast. Nope, he couldn't do it. <laughs> so, uh, And then Michael was here to do this, and I kind of sprang it on him and said, hey, I just need something. So, um, movie. Yes. Uh, I know that we talked about the fact that there's not a ton mm-hmm. that you... I mean, we can talk about... Oh, I can talk about the, the story. And I the can story talk about... And all that. You, you, there's just some details that you want to... We're just, we're just in, in the tail end of post-production right now, right. so I don't have any details really about like when people can see it yet. But I but I can I can talk about the production and the story. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, quick details, I yeah. guess. What's, what's it about? So it's uh it's called Beyond Human Nature. I know what it's about. By you the way. do. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? This far, I, appe- and I, I appeared in you. it, but right. I hadn't told you anything, uh, even after doing the VO. Um, yeah, it's called Beyond Human Nature. You can you can go to the website www.beyondhumannature.com. Um, uh, it is a it's a true crime documentary. I'm not gonna hide from it, even though I cringe when I hear that genre stated out loud. Um, well. But, let yeah. me ask you this yeah. really quick. I'm going to inter- interrupt. Please, now please do it. Um, influenced at all by making a murder, or did this start before? Start. We started filming before that. That's came what out. I thought. Yeah, we started filming in May of 2014. Um, and uh, but and I, I mean, similar similar stuff. Wisconsin it murder. It is up north. Up north. <laughs> yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, Stephen Avery came up a few times in our interviews. Uh, oh, I bet. Again, before making a murderer. But, yeah. Um, because the Green Bay Police Department, our story takes place in Green Bay. But they they were very close spy, and so they the departments knew each other a little bit, and they right. kind of bleed that way. But um, uh, yeah, no, I, I uh, it's funny the the I, I I I liked making a murderer. I have, but we are going for something very different in our efforts with this one. Um, well, yeah, I mean. Not very different. Very different. I, I can I can articulate why, but I'm curious what you're thinking. Well, because my understanding is, and <clears throat> yeah. I will take this out if if you want me. To. Oh no no no! My understanding is is that it's the position of the production that these men are innocent, and they have been That's wrongfully funny. convicted. Yeah, um, it's not. Uh, no, it is not the position of the production. I would say at okay. all. Um, no, I, I I went into um, into this in 2014. Very, very much interested in the questions more so than the answers. So and I, to be clear, yeah. like I mean, it's been speculated for since it happened in the early '90s, right? That speculated. these guys are probably innocent, or maybe you well, know, they, something's they, they different made the, or wrong. It's actually a fairly new thing that they that people have been making that case, and, and oh. it, it largely came about. Uh, as a result of a few evidentiary hearings in 2015, I'll back up just for people yeah, who yeah, don't know anything. Sure. Yeah, sorry. No, no, but but I but I can but I can go into this. So so uh, so in a nutshell, this is about the Tom Monfiles uh, murder investigation of 92 to 95 in Green Bay, where a man who worked at a paper uh, mill in Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is the kind of paper mill capital of the country, if not the world, um, at the it? time. At the time, oh, it was apparently because I thought it was like like. Uh... I guess no. Pittsburgh would be like steel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. 
Um, so, uh, but paper uh, in the form of like toilet paper, paper towels, everything like that, uh, Green Bay was kind of the capital of, and it may still be for all I know. I know there's a lot of mills there, but um, anyway, this guy, Tom Monfels was a worker there. He was found at the bottom of a pulp vat with a 50 pound weight attached to his neck uh, by a makeshift jump rope. Um, and so they found him after he disappeared. Police declared it a homicide. Made sense. They learned uh, uh, fairly quickly after that of a confrontation that Tom had had with some coworkers that day um, uh, that sounded very suspicious. They investigated it, um, and over an investigation that lasted about two and a half years, they finally brought six of his coworkers to to court, uh, to trial uh, for uh, uh, conspiracy to commit first-degree intentional homicide. They were convicted and sent to prison for their entire lives, and now... As of 2019, uh, one remains behind bars. Uh, four of them got out on parole. Uh, well, three of them got out on parole. One got out and written rid of habeas corpus in 2001, and another one died uh, uh, still in custody. Um, so one remains now, Keith Kutzka, who is kind of the ringleader uh, of the of the six. They're known as the Monfile Six back in the, the day and in the publications and everything. Um, but yes, they have maintained they were innocent from the very beginning. And we heard about this story because advocates on behalf of their innocence came to us because they wanted the story told. Right. Um, they had written a book that's explicitly advocating for their innocence. Um, and it's a very detailed book. Like I would recommend people check it out and read it. Even if you want to go in skeptical of its, of its position, read it just for the information. It's got all the documents in there and whatnot. And then it's good for that. Um, but but you know I got we I I very much went into this saying I don't want to make an advocacy piece I don't I'm not interested in advocacy pieces I'm not interested in watching something where I already know in the first five minutes what the angle is right um, so I I very much wanted to get the detective that that investigated it in I wanted to get the prosecuting DA who who you know uh, uh, made the case against them and I wanted to talk to as many people as I possibly could. So, uh, so no, the, pos- the position of the production was not to advocate for these guys' innocence. However, uh, uh, if you were to ask... Through the journey? Right, right, exactly. If you were to ask me, I, I, my personal opinion, which I really worked hard to kind of not make the point of the movie, but if you ask my personal opinion, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with the state's case. I'm not, I, I think it, it leaves more unanswered questions... Um, then, then, then it answers. I think you, you have, it's not Occam's Razor by any stretch. It, it, you, have, you have to, you have to take more jumps. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. It's not, uh, it's not really. I think, I, I think I, my hope is like with our first film that we made in in 2012. My hope is that people can come into this. Well, you can't just mention that and not say what it is. Well, I know, I know, but I, it, it, but but the people. What's your fixation <laughs> with Green Bay stories? Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> that's the way it seems. Yeah, uh, uh, but I, but I'm hoping people, two people, can come in from different points of view and right. and leave maintaining those points of view, but have learned something from it. That's, that's basically what I want. Um, uh, I don't want half the audience pissed off. That's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. That, I um, think that's the goal of every filmmaker. Except I don't, I actually don't think that unfortunately anymore, I don't think that is actually the goal. I think a lot of films are perfectly comfortable at this point, explicitly advocating for a position and eliminating any argument that doesn't right. conform to their point of view. Yeah. Um, if, if, if there was an argument in here that was a good argument that didn't jive with my worldview, it was more likely to get in than something that was directly in line with my uh, That answers my question. Because I was going to yeah. ask you, how do you <clears throat> mitigate your uh, your personal feelings, uh, you know, in contrast with the goal of the, the film? Mm-hmm. I imagine that would be – I mean, just, just like somebody writing a newspaper article or a news anchor on TV, that's got to be – Really hard. Yeah. Well, and they can't, and they can't do what I do. I have more. Um, right. Like, a journalist is more constrained than I am. I'm. I. I have. But I think to make a good film yeah. that is unbiased, you have to follow the almost the same principles. Almost. Yeah. Except, I guess what I'll mean is that they're. Um, I the way I do that is through storytelling and humanization. Right. Whereas, if you were to do that as a journalist, you'd be editorializing. So I'm. So w- the way I would do this is. If I don't see myself in all the characters, I've done something wrong. Hmm. Like I need to be able to look at all the characters and go, like I see myself there. Like I see what I see that. Like that's me. Like that's there's a part of that that I recognize. Right. Um, if I can do that, I haven't demonized anybody. 
Um, because if I demonize somebody, I won't be able to see myself because I don't think of myself as a demon. <laughs> you know, right? Right. I don't think of myself as a bad person. <laughs> so if someone's coming off as a bad person, I did a j- poor job. Yeah, um, I've got a couple just documentary yeah. questions. For oh me. yeah. Uh, first, what's your what's your Favre documentary called? Last Day at Lambeau. Yeah, you can see that on Vimeo, by the way. Oh really? Yeah. What and and it's about Favre's last day. Mm-hmm. Like uh, yeah. last day as a playing Packer or like. Last day as a Viking, so his last game at oh, Lambeau Field, October twenty okay, fourth, right. two thousand ten. Yeah. yeah, so it was the year we went to the Super Bowl. We being Packers fans, I you know yeah, I always say we, right? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Everybody's it, a Packer fan. I if know. They're honest, right? Exactly. Uh, it was it was that season, but it was um, just because that that was a, that was a, a situation where I I felt a, a big kind of um, moral dilemma in in at least Packers fans that I thought was bigger than Packers fans, which was, you know, who are you aligned with the team or the, or the player? And do you know either of them and why do you care? Yeah. Like, and so, so the, I thought that was <laughs> wow. really interesting because I'm a huge Packers fan. So I was, met, I was really asking myself these questions. Right. And um, where do you fall? I care very much. I can't tell you why, other than it's probably just another form of storytelling to some extent. Um, but I, I, uh, if you're asking me specifically about Favre, I'm a, I am still very much a Favre fan. I was against him while he was in purple. I never want to see him in purple again. He's a disgrace, is what I think. Okay, Honestly, there you go. There I you mean, go. just in general. Yeah. Be- no, no. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. He took this amazing yeah. career as a Packer and yeah. this legacy. Yes. And then like put it in his mouth, chewed it up, swallowed it, and then shit it out. Yep. Yeah. Because like, j- like what's how many the people do you think are thinking in- that now though? That are in the, that are in Lambeau Field when he walks out with Cherry. I wouldn't clap for him. Yeah, you wouldn't clap nope. for him now. Nope. He because he had a great legacy, mm-hmm. and then he spent his last two years, three years, selfishly being a little baby, and All it right. showed his true colors to me. I think he did. He he was a little bit of a baby at times. I do agree with you on that. Here's the deal: while he was wearing purple, I might be I might have more vitriol than you're showing right now. <laughs> I I was very angry. Yeah. Um. I've had some time to cool down. And I think that making the film actually kind of cured me of it a little bit as well, just because I, I, I spent two years just literally nonstop, just kind of like telling myself, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. This makes no sense. Right. And so, right. so by the end, I was like, this makes no sense. So I, I've never been a huge Fire fan yeah. uh, to begin. I wasn't really big into football really until Aaron Rodgers took over. Oh, cool. I just, I just had never really cared. Sure. I'm a musician, and I was just always much more into music than sports. Sure. Um, But what was I going to say here? Oh. The game where far and I think it's the game he played the day his dad died or the oh, night yeah, after two thousand three, where he gets a concussion, gets taken out, and then wanders back on the field and throws this incredible touchdown pass. It's like an eighty yard. T- I think it's the same game. Well, he didn't get a concussion in the in the in his the game after his father's death. So you might be thinking about a different game, but I but I but I think I know the game you're talking about. I, well, anyway, he got a concussion. This sounds like a far story. And then, like, <laughs> and then, like honestly, like wandered back out on the field, and yeah. they're like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. And he was like, second string, get out of here." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then through, and then they wouldn't let him back in. That's like the but, archetype far story you could apply to like ten games, probably. Right. He did. And it's yeah. a, it's amazing. It's great. So, yeah. All right. Uh, documentary questions. Yeah. Um. Who's your favorite documentarian? Right now, I'm getting the most from Errol Morris. I don't know it. I don't think Errol no, Morris her, is him. Her, yeah, him. Them? Yep. There you go. Errol, Errol is. Uh, well, first of all, uh, he attended UW Madison, so it's good to do a local plug there. Um, he is uh, the 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 best, the greatest interviewer of our time. He's 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 wrong. Uh, <laughs> okay, wrong. <laughs> you you have a, com- a competitor, Louis Theroux. Louis Theroux. I don't know Louis Theroux. What? No. So I'll have, to, I'll have to check this out. You've never seen a Louis Theroux documentary? No, I don't think so. No. Maybe I knew it without knowing his name. He's British. Uh, he does a lot of documentaries. He he did this big Scientology documentary. Well, not. Uh, oh no, you're okay. So wait, it, there's there was a British one. Is it that one? The 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 one the one the one that was on like the BBC. Right. That's Louis Theroux. Okay. I think I know who you're talking about. It's called My Scientology Movie. Okay. I don't think I know what you're talking about. I think I'm thinking of a different British, <laughs> but yes. Okay, I'm gonna list up. I Louis cannot Theroux. believe that okay. you, as a documentarian, yeah, no. have never seen a Louis Theroux, yeah, uh, documentary. No, I haven't. He yeah. he does a lot of stuff here in America for the BBC. Okay, because it's like look at these Americans. Sure. Um, but he is he bald? No. no. Okay, I'm definitely thinking of someone and he's, else. And he's related to Justin Thoreau. 
Oh, that's they just, interesting. They pronounce their names differently. Though. That's really funny. Yeah, he's like his cousin or something like that. That's really really funny. Um, but no, he he has this way of asking questions, and I and I I imagine all documentarians are this way, but he has the ability to erase his mind of any preconceived notions yeah. and knowledge. Of yeah. what he, he genuinely asks these people questions as if I'm an infant. Yes. Teach me. Yes. And uh, so, like, he's he's spent a week with, like, white supremacists. He's yeah. spent a week. Uh, one of the more interesting ones is this one about, um, I think it's him who does this one, uh, about this weird uh, male tickling ah! website, I think. It's, That's like, male-on-male male tickling. And okay. It, and it turns out to be, like, this cult. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I am shocked. That sounds awesome. That you've not heard of this. Well, guy. now I've got some. Yeah, I'm going to send you list. links. Yeah, so. I would love that. Um, no, that's very funny. You point out though, like the the erases mind of knowledge, because I think that's a key thing that a lot of uh, uh, at least people who who maybe who maybe want to do documentary or or have done documentary, it ta- it takes some um, modesty to play that card. Well, and I think I think a lot of people like like I I have aspirations to shoot a mini documentary on things, sure. but I think a lot of people get in that and think. Oh, well, I'm really passionate about this, and I right. know a lot of stuff, and I I can show people what they need to know, and that's a horrible way to go into it. It is like you have to pretend like you know nothing, right? It's it's a, especially when you're actually interviewing the people because you want them to talk to you like you're an infant because that's how you get the best content, right? So it's it's the you know, I actually prep our clients sometimes on this. Like I'll say because because we do a whole bunch of pre work with them and research, right? And so I'll say I'll be like, look, I just want you guys to know I haven't forgotten everything you've taught us the last week. But it's going to sound like I have when right. I'm interviewing this person right now. Right. So, like, know that this Because you is... got to do there's, – there's, like, several rounds of interviews so exactly. that you know which questions to ask during the actual Exactly. Yeah. But you do sound you, – you have to be comfortable sounding like an idiot. Like, yeah. like there, there's a there's – a, and I think it's kind of – I know comedians say the same thing in, like, doing comedy films where you have, you have to be willing to, to look like an idiot. Like, for documentary, at least interviews, I think you have to be comfortable sounding like an idiot yeah. in the questions you ask. It's not about the questions you ask. That's the other thing you notice in like press conferences. It's way too much about the question. Like people, people, it, it like you can tell how interested someone is in actually getting an answer based on how they frame a question. Like a lot of times, people will frame a question in a way that is not designed to get an interesting answer at all. It's just to make a statement. It's well, it's <laughs> that, and it's designed to be able to ask the next question. Exactly right. Um, one of my favorite interviewers is mm-hmm. um. Oh shit. He had a late night television show in the seventies and eighties, sixties, seventies, and eighties. It you know it wasn't seventies, eighties. I'm gonna try and look this up. Uh, what is his name? Uh, late night. Not like Ed Cavett. Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett. That's right. Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett is one of the best interviewers. Yeah. Because he is not afraid of silence. Yeah. He's not afraid to ask a question and let the person answer and yeah. then let it hang there. And then the person gets uncomfortable and goes, "Oh, I guess I should say more." Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the best way to interview. It is. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pregnant pauses are amazing. I tried to pull out all the stops with this one. I the longest interview we did for this documentary was twelve hours over two days with uh, the lead investigator. Right. Um, and that was a lot of fun because he he obviously was an interviewer himself as a detective. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of fun to learn from him while I was in the process of interviewing him. Um, but do you think yeah. a detective um, – so this is a, a question, I guess, about um, just crime and, and, and the legal system. Yeah. Do you think a, a detective can approach a case as an infant and be like, okay, just show or, – or do you think – like they can't help but have a preconceived like here's – I mean we've got the guy in cuffs, so. Well, so that's – that's that. yeah, I mean that's one of the things that I've given a lot of thought to that I don't have an answer for you. But I think it's a really interesting question to unpack because I, I – I think that if you were really after truth, if you are if you are honest to God trying to go for the most unabashed, you know, washed of all bias and preconceived notion truth in things like this, you're talking to people who are not typically in the pool to become detectives. Right. That's and I don't mean that as an insult to detectives. I just literally mean like from my worldview and and where I come from, I feel like the only people who have really put in all of the stops against preconceived notions and 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 letting their perception get away from them are like the hardcore scientists. I mean, like the people who really are like you know 
very aware of human fallibility and very aware of how their own biases will mislead the data and like hmm. know how to guard against their preconceived notions. Like it's not that I think I'm sure there are fantastic detectives out there that have trained their minds to do that in a great way. But I do wonder if it's the majority. I don't know. And and that's why you probably you really probably need quite a few um I don't know. You need you need you need you need guardrails to allow the perfectly human failings of whoever is that lead investigator in whatever case or team of investigators. You have to have those guardrails where they have to maybe send it through a stage where somebody who understands bias and understands you know how right. uh, uh, how perception misleads us because it's it's happened so often and 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 I sometimes wonder if 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 everyone if people can be aware enough in in because and 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 the reason I say it's not insult to detectives is because it takes so much work to become a detective not in that right you know what I mean like yeah. like it takes so much work in other things to become that I'd say mostly it takes solving crimes. Right, exactly. And, and so <laughs> right. it almost behoo- behooves you if if your if your goal is to become a detective, right. it almost behooves you to have biases. Right. so that you can go because the confirmation bias is a thing. It is. If you already have this bias, you're going to look for the things that confirm it. Yes. Uh, just a very simple explanation of what confirmation bias is. Absolutely. Uh so if you can solve crimes that way and get people convicted, all right, detective and if you don't have any any qualms about that, then it's really dangerous. Most will at least say that they have that they're aware and they're concerned about it. Right. Um. Uh. And I think there's the majority that actually are genuinely concerned about it and see it as a pitfall of of their potential job. However, I'll use myself as an example. Like I'm not prepared to go and write, you know, the truth about uh, uh or 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 do do an honest to god study, to use the science metaphor or science analogy. To do an honest to God study on like the God particle or something like I, I if I really want the truth of something that you know I don't know I don't know how to protect against my own biases and a whole bunch of things like this so I'm aware of it though like I'm conscious that that, that that's a thing yeah. in the same way a detective would be but I don't know to spend your whole life with the dream of becoming a police officer and becoming a detective and rising the ranks and doing all that stuff and doing everything right and 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 getting to that place. You've spent so much time doing things other than deep psychological questioning of yourself, right? You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like that, like like you just didn't have time for all of that, and so I almost think it's like a like a just a, a fact of the job that it's not going to be in everyone's knapsack. It's not going to be in everyone's toolkit, um, uh, and so you have to somehow have something outside of that detective <laughs> there yeah. to help. Yeah. Because um, yeah, because we just we it takes it takes a lot of real deep introspection. And at that point, I don't know if you're the best detective for other reasons. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like, is the most introspective detective functional? I don't know. Introspective detective? Yeah. That seriously. sounds like a comic book hero. <laughs> it does, right. And he can't solve any crimes because he's just doubt- Introspective detective. All he does is doubt himself. That's like, he can't right. solve anything. <laughs> wow, yeah. that actually sounds like a far side comic. Like, right. That would be good. <laughs> right. Um, uh, so I, I cut you off talking about Errol. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe we can get into that again with this question. What's your favorite documentary right now? Uh, Mr. Death, The Life and Times of, or Rise and Fall of Fred A. Luchner. Uh, and is this by Errol? This is by Errol. Okay. This is by the man Errol. Um, so Errol Morris, uh, he was a private investigator, private mm. detective, um, and he made the f- grandfather of the true crime documentary. Everyone who's a fan of true crime documentaries, this is the one that spawned them all, the, the, the Thin Blue Line. Um, and he made that back in 88, I think. Um, it was the first one with reenactments that filmed it like a film noir, dramatic film um, about a murder in Texas. Awesome. Um, murder in Texas. Awesome. Yes, it was an awesome film. I still watch it all the time. I watch it as the model for this film. It's it's great. Um, he made this other film a few films later, uh, which, uh, which was about Fred Lutner. Fred Lutner is a man who was... Uh, a manufacturer and repairer of instruments of death for capital punishment in the United States at the time. So he was he was managing all the the electric chairs and the lethal injections and the gas chambers and the like you know the gallows all this stuff. Um, he was like like he had the corner the market cornered in some sense as like the guy that was jumping around to all these states that were doing this primarily in the South. And at a certain point. Uh, and, and so half the first half of the film is just about this. 
and, and you're and I'm fascinated already because it's just like what a weird niche mm-hmm. thing I've never heard. It, you know, tell me more. Like it's so kind of crazy, right? Right. It takes a turn though to greatness as a film about halfway through when he gets uh, reached out to this guy Fred Lutner gets reached out to by Holocaust deniers on trial in Canada who uh, are – they're on trial because Holocaust denial is a crime in Canada, or at least it was at the time. I'm not sure if it is anymore. But either way, it was at the time. This guy's on trial, and he wants to hire someone who has, with knowledge of gas chambers to go to Auschwitz and see if there's any scientific evidence that there actually was gas chambers at Auschwitz. Right. And so, so Fred Lutner gets on a plane – this guy who's just done this in the in the states. This is such a that's absurd. Such a bumbling story. Right. <laughs> it's like a Coen Brothers film. Yeah, he, he flies over to to Auschwitz, and you have this archival footage of him literally in the hollowed like hollowed ground where this, these mass atrocities happened, scraping bits of paint off the walls. And and it's 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 both horrifying and hilarious to watch him do this. Right. Um. And and so anyway, it's it, it. What's great about it though is that Errol Morris interviews him. The whole film is primarily composed just of his interview, and Errol just is curious hmm. and just lets him tell his story. And it's the most fascinating thing in the world. Lesser filmmakers would not have been able to hold back their appalledness, right? Or at least to at some point make clear to the audience, I'm not on his side. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, like, like he never takes the moment to signal, "I'm, I'm good, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm with you." Yeah. Um, and it's it. The film works because of it. Um, mm. it, it's you're not confused. Errol's clearly not on his side, right? But he right. doesn't need to say it to you. Um, and so, uh, as a matter of fact, there's a little story behind the scenes there that he originally wanted to release the film only with his interview with with Fred Lutner. And the distributors or the studio was was concerned about people misconstruing that, and so they actually suggested that he interview a few counterpoint people. So there are a few counterpe- counterpoint people in the film, but that's how confident Errol was with doing this. Wow! And now you know him more, or people listening would know him more because he's genuinely done that with his single interview documentaries on Donald Rumsfeld, Steve Bannon, which hasn't yet been released because no one thinks anyone's going to want to watch it, and I just keep going like, I'll watch it, like <laughs> release it, I'll check it out right uh, away. I think, I mean. I American just, Dharma is what it's called. I just was looking through a list of documentaries that I like. I was looking for something to watch, yeah. and there's there is a Bannon one out. There's a handful that have been done recently. I doubt okay. it's this one, okay. unless something great's happened. I, I really want to see this. Um, uh, but anyway, he he's the, that's why I call him the greatest living interviewer from my standpoint because he interviews people, and you know where he is because he doesn't hide his intonation in his, in his questioning. Right. Like, like when he's genuinely shocked, he sounds shocked or, or when he's, you know, angry, he sounds angry, but he doesn't, he's not talking to us. Like he's not doing it for us. Sure. And I love that. Yeah. He's not holding our hand through it. Hmm. Anyway. For me, not that yes. I've been waiting please. this no, entire please. time to just, I've enjoyed this. Yes. Dear Zachary. Oh, so everyone tells me that's amazing, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Everyone tells me. It's Who also, are you? People tell Why me. Why did I even have I know, you on this I know. show? People tell me that's going to crush me. That oh, movie. yeah. Clear your calendar for three days. Yeah, <laughs> because you won't be able to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. I like. You yeah, know, you talked about the turn in that movie where it's super interesting, super interesting, and then there's suddenly a turn, and you're yeah. like, oh, this whole new other thing. Right. Very similar type of thing where it's like it's one thing, one thing, one thing, and then suddenly it's not. Yeah. And you and and that's horrifying as it is. Yeah. And then the end is another turn, and you're like, <laughs> it's it's like somebody slit your throat, and then as you're bleeding out, you get shot in the head. <laughs> I'm, Sounds I'm great. Not kidding. I believe you. But it it is so well done. Yeah. And in a weird way, I don't know. So I, I deal with depression. And yeah. if you, I don't know if you do or don't. I don't. Or if you don't feel comfortable. But you no, don't. no, no, no. Okay. I, 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 so there's something weird about being depressed where you want to watch the saddest oh, thing. Oh, sure. It makes you feel better. Not because it's like, oh, my life could be so much worse. It's just, depression is this weird, like, we talk about this on the show all the time. We talk about depression. Yeah. Both Cole and I struggle with mental health. Um. There's depression is this liar because it you feel horrible right and and it tricks your brain and your body chemicals your just everything that you'll that it feels good to be sad. Is it like the I'm not alone thing again? Like you seeing something else that's no. dark? No, no it's not even that. It's it's it, it at least for me. Okay, no, I my yeah. depression is like, hey, you're sad already. Wouldn't it feel even better <laughs> to be more sad? Oh wow. So like I'll listen to 
dashboard confessional (laughs) (laughs) and watch these sad movies and then genuinely come away from it being like, I feel great. I feel so good. That's really interesting. Depression is like a friend. Yeah. Um, In fact, I started production on a podcast called Goodbye Old Friend because I was going to start going on medication. I've never been on medication for my depression. But depression is this old friend that has always been with me. I can always count on it. Yeah. It's it's the thing or the personified thing, so I'll refer to it as a person. Sure. It's the person who has known me the longest, has been with me through everything. I can count on him to be there. And and when I am happy, it feels like I'm missing a dear old friend. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, we're getting into deep shit. Now. No, that's good. <laughs> that's I mean I, I mean I'm fascinated to hear this. Yeah, and so uh there's just something about when you when you're depressed, um Watching a really like devastating movie, at yeah. least for me, that that makes me feel good. I just read Notes from Underground for the first time, uh-huh. and what you're saying parrots back to me. Doesn't he say somewhere in there about like, uh, oh gosh, some something about how like you know like you know I I, I stub my toe just because. I, like it, it gives me a weird pleasure or or, or an odd pleasure, like to like to feel I'm alive. this pain. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Like there's like like a, sounds, like a pleasure in a pain. But doesn't that sound so like high school girly? It, like, it does like when dramatic. it's not not the way you're saying it, right? Because that's not what I mean. It's not about yeah. feeling alive for me, right? It's not about oh I I cut myself to know that I'm alive, or right? Whatever. You know, I it's, very emo, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> it, it, it truly is for me. Yeah. Sadness is like dining with yeah. an, with an old friend who I haven't seen because because like right I haven't been depressed in probably three months I'm yeah on, I'm on like a good roll and so right now I feel great right now without depression I'm like fuck that I don't ever want to feel that way ever again right but then when depression hits maybe a three days a week into it um you're just like okay I I feel good like this is this is normal like yeah this, this is what I've been missing in my life. You say you say now that you're, you know, uh, you you haven't been depressed for like 3 months or whatever you said and right. so you feel great now. Yeah. That when you say you feel great now, compare that feel great to the I feel great for having my sadness compounded with It is almost identical. That's fascinating. It is almost yeah. identical because here's the thing. So the other thing that people have asked me uh, you know because I've talked about getting on meds and stuff so that that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And when you're depressed and you're talking about getting out of meds, you're not going to do it because you're. If I'm depressed, I'm not doing shit. Right. Like I, I the worst depression I ever had was the year I got married, <laughs> <laughs> having nothing to do with that. Right. But I didn't get out of bed for three weeks. I wow. mean, it was that bad. Um, but I'm for sure as hell. My dear friend is not going to let me go somewhere to make him go away. That's how it feels. Wow. But now people are like, well, now you're feeling good. Like, go get on meds so you can maintain this feeling. And the lie for me is, I feel great. Why would I need to be on meds right now? I see. So it's just, it's like, <laughs> it's this never ending cycle. And yeah. I don't think I'll ever go on meds because I, I like the sadness. Sure. I really, truly do. Sure. I, I, and I'm a musician. There's something about being oh, sad and writing songs. And I get, I get that. I'm not, I'm not a musician, but I, I definitely think there's some. There's a headspace that comes Creative. creatively. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. And I don't know what that's about, but there. But I heard somebody say at one point, I don't remember who it was. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the one thing I know for sure is that the most beautiful music is sad, or something like that. And so it, there is something, something odd, something, something. Well, for sure. I mean, look at like uh, the Gangnam Style song. Right. Not a sad note in that right. song. It's forgettable. Right. You know, in 25 years, you're never gonna hear it again. Right. Eleanor Rigby. Yeah, right. I mean, right. It's not a super sad song, but like it's it has got a it's got sad notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, th- There's that a... song's gonna live for fucking ever. Right. <laughs> and I don't know what that is because it, it's it's a um, asymmetrical balance there that there, that somehow something that's on the sadder end of the spectrum somehow carries more weight than something that's on the happy end. Happy end always seems frivolous. Yeah, and thin. Yep. It's odd, which is why whenever I see a film, being my art. Whenever I see a film that earns its happiness, I love that film. Yeah, because it's like, oh, you've you've affirmed it to me, and I believe it. Like that's good. I don't, don't get me wrong; I like happy films. Oh, I do too. But 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 they gotta earn it. <laughs> yeah. Like so so like the uh, you mentioned you know lo- loving the sadness thing too. So on a note of a film that was happy and earned it because it recognized that. Uh, Inside Out, Pixar. I never saw, but I've heard oh. I've heard like incredible things about that movie. Might be like my favorite movie of the two thousands. I, I mean, it's it's it's. 
it's incredible. It, it reckon it, it reckons with everything you're talking about, and then still comes out on the affirmative side of like life affirming. It's it's just right. It's so good. Right. But anyway, well, we've been going for about fifty minutes. Oh my gosh! Already. Um, so one last thing about this Abuna, I I took a sip just recently on this, and I suddenly tasted apples. Like it bursted with apples in my mouth, um, and so I really enjoyed that. Yes, I I can see where you get that. Some sort of fruit uh, beyond right. The cherry obviousness or the the barrel thing. Yeah. That's very nice. I yeah. like that a lot. It's, it's a great whiskey. So yeah. It's you, really you should cool. definitely get, get a bottle. I'm going to have to get a bottle of it. It's so good. I think it's like 90 bucks, 85, 90 hey, bucks. For something this good. Right, right. It is definitely not like a come home and drink it every night. It is no. like a, hey, we're, we're having dinner and somebody's over. Let's share a glass or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael, real quick, tell the people where they can find you, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Sure. Most social media platforms, you can find me at Michael Nielsen. I have a unique spelling. It's N-E-E-L-S-E-N, and that allows me to have my name as my handle for a lot of things. So, at Michael Nielsen, uh, and that's on Twitter and Instagram and whatnot. Uh, also on Letterboxd. I'll mention that, because I don't think people mention that much on this show. Uh, but it's a... Uh, First uh, time. There you go. <laughs> Film review social media uh, app, so uh, check us out there. And then, and then really, it's it's the podcast, Real Fanatics, um, and... Uh, and Nature of Story, and then uh, BeyondHumanNature.com. Yeah. And Story First Media also. Story First Media is the production at, company. At Story First Media on Instagram. Absolutely. Least, so. Yep. Story First Media and StoryFirstMedia.com. Yep. Very cool. Uh, Michael, my friend, thank you so much for uh, being on the show today. Uh, I hope and, – and Beyond Human Nature, I know you can't – you don't have like a specific time people could see it, mm-hmm. but uh, do we have like a around the uh, – spring Springtime next year. So springtime in 2020, it'll be at festivals somewhere. Okay. Very cool. And I believe me, listeners, will make sure when it's available to see, I will be telling you because I am in this movie. That's right. As, <laughs> as upper management, a convicted murderer or, or, or accused convicted murderer, and my voice is in it as we, well. We so. call that a fake shemp in the film business. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. We're not ending yet. <laughs> <laughs> because I, so my my call sheet yes. said shemp. Yes. So I assumed there was somebody named shemp. Right. No, yeah. There's not. No. Oh. So wait, so do you cuz somebody asked me, do you do you know what fake shemp is? No. Okay, so fake shemp is a uh, um uh is it's it? it's a term coined by Sam Raimi and the Michigan Mafia who okay. did who, who did like Evil Dead and right. all that stuff. Right. Whenever they needed like a hand in a shot, it could be, just be like Sam's brother Ted, even though he was also playing the grandma in the cellar and right. he was also doing whatever. Like you you because they're on such a low budget, you had certain people that were around to play multiple, multiple. roles okay. where you'd see like a foot or then you'd see like an arm, or then you'd see whatever, and they and they could all be the same person, right? So you're playing, yes, upper management, and then like a convicted <laughs> felon, and like because oh, we're never seeing your face, so it's like, right? You're in a bunch of whole I, bunch of things. I, so I have an IMDb credit now, yes. Just so you know, yes, I'm a right. big deal. You are a big deal. I told Natalie, you can take away the Shemp credit and just give me VO credit, okay? So that I can like. I, I want to do VO. Like, yeah. that, that's my dream. Happily. So if that can be on IMDb, that'll that, be done. That I'm VO, like, yeah, hell that'll yeah. That'll be done. You got it. All right. So, uh, Michael, thanks so much for coming in. I hope that the uh, the festivals you've submitted to that uh, we get like, – we. I'm saying we. It is a we. I hope that we get accepted and good things happen, and uh, I hope everything that you're working on right now goes well. But most of all, Michael and listeners, I hope that our love of spirits lifted yours. Mm-hmm.